Welcome to Relevant Risk from the Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence, presenting conversations and analysis about risk and risk management for food and agriculture supply chain decision makers, from farmers to consumers and everyone in between. This is Relevant Risk. This is John Anderson, director of the Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence at the University of Arkansas, uh, here with another Relevant Risk podcast, uh, podcast of the Friar Center. And uh, with me today is a guest that we've had before, uh, Scott Stiles. Scott Stiles, an extension economist uh, with the University of Arkansas Cooperative Extension Service based out of Jonesboro. Scott, how are you doing today? Just fine, John. It's great to be with you again. So... Scott, today we want to talk about, uh, as, as we sit here uh, recording this, it's July 6th. Uh, we are a few days removed from, uh, I think fair to say, one of the biggest uh, USDA National Ag Statistics Service reports of the year, uh, the, the final acreage report that comes out on June 30th. And uh, always a, a highly anticipated report. Uh, what... Uh, what do you think were the highlights of the acreage report this year? I think likely the market reaction to it uh, is one of the things, John, that really surprised me is uh, we got a bullish uh, soybean acreage number. Uh, the trade going into the report was looking for uh, bean acreage uh, close, to, uh, I would say, at a record level, uh, about 90 and a half million acres, and it got – uh, in fact, a survey uh, revealed a, um, a U.S. bean acreage number of 88.3 million. So it came in uh, just a little bit short of 2.7 million below uh, the, the trade expectations. Yeah. Uh, after the report was, was released, you saw bean, you know, bean prices turned higher immediately following the report and then later closed lower. Um, the day of the report, we saw, you know, November beans go almost to 1508. And oddly enough, today, uh, we were trading almost $2 a bushel below that, <laughs> below that price yeah. level. So it's, it's, it's hard to comprehend. Yeah. Uh, so, so I wanted, I wanted to talk to you about that. Uh, you know, I saw the, uh, the briefing slides that, uh, uh, that that NAS puts out when they put these reports out, they do a briefing and they put out some slides. I get those through Livestock Marketing Information Center, and uh, they had a, a a slide showing where their numbers came in for the major crops relative to the pre-report expectations. And that soybean acreage was below even the lowest pre-report es- estimates. I mean, it's not just that uh, you know we were kind of off from the average. I mean, we were really outside the range of the pre-reports on soybean acreage. That that's true. The bottom end of the range was eighty eight seven, and we came in at eighty eight three, and um, so yes. And um, like I said, the market reaction initially was was favorable, and then and then turned lower into the close. So yeah. Um, so one of the things that I that that really gets my attention as I've watched markets over the years, and this goes back to. Uh, 
probably before a lot of people listening to this were born. Uh, <laughs> there was a, a guy, Jack Swagger, uh, wrote a book called The Market Wizards, and he interviewed all these guys who had, had made fortunes trading commodities. And, and one of the things that I remember, read that book actually as a young college student, and I remember one of the things that stuck with me out of that book, uh, one of the analysts or one of the traders that uh, that was interviewed for that book said, listen, one of the one of the most important signals you can look for in a market, one of the, one of the surest indicators you can look for in a market is a divergence between what ought to happen and what does happen. And so if, a, if, 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 a, if something really bullish happens and the market has a bearish reaction or vice versa, that's a big deal. And so I always think of that when I see a market do what the soybean market did in the wake of that acreage report. That's a divergence. I mean, there's a really bullish signal there and the market has retreated. And I think there's some some understandable reasons for that. Uh, so let, let's talk about that a second. So what's your explanation for that behavior? Because it is striking behavior when that happens. Well, first, the market's not trading fundamentals. And when we look at, you know, what what is driving the market, whether that's fundamentals or uh, technicals. And um, so, I mean, I, I'd say it's not trading fundamentals it's probably it's trading something else and it and it's probably i if i was guessing i would say it's tied to uh the exodus of of uh managed money or speculative money that's that's been behind the commodity market really going back to 2020. okay so that money's going somewhere else is is what i hear you saying it's that's a theory and it's hard to say where it's going it's it's not truly you know, it's not really showing up over in the equity market side yet, <laughs> but that, yeah. there are some that think we may we may see some equity market recovery later this year. But um, if there's you know if there's money move moving out of commodities, which it is, uh, where is that going? I don't I don't know where that is today. Well, I think you're you're making a good point. I think there is a there is always a broader context. It's and again, I mean, as as a market analyst, I tend to 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 have to fight uh, the uh, the habit of focusing too narrowly on a single market because soybeans don't trade in a vacuum. Nothing trades in a vacuum. There are all these outside market factors at work. And we do have we have had a broad decline in equities. Uh, I think more where, where I immediately went when I saw the soybean reaction was energy markets. A lot of a lot of times the broader commodity space will trade uh, in, in sympathy with with uh, with energy generally and specifically with crude oil. And crude oil has been down pretty hard lately. Right. So crude's below a hundred hundred dollars now. Uh, diesel is. Today it's you know a dollar a gallon off its highs, so um, you know there's no spillover support from the energy markets. Right. Um, so there's, um, so I, I don't know. This gets back to, you know, we we've always historically thought that money goes into commodities as an inflation hedge. So now I think the concern is less about inflation and more about recession. So. So right. maybe that maybe that's why the money's, you know, moving out of the commodity markets because it's more concerned about recession rather than inflation now. I think that's a great point. And uh, you know, when we uh 
if <laughs> maybe I should be optimistic and say if if we do transition to a recessionary environment, that tends to uh, have a pretty strong negative effect on basic commodities. And so I do think we see these things like the ag commodities, uh, the the energy commodities react pretty strongly to recession expectations. And if you look at uh, things like the tip spread, the 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 spread between inflation protected securities and and uh, or treasuries and uh, the the nominal treasuries, that spread has has narrowed quite a bit, which means expect inflation expectations are being sucked out of those 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 treasury prices. Uh, you know, you go back several days. I haven't looked at it in in a, a, a week or two, but not too long back, we we had an inversion in the yield curve, the the, the spread between. Uh, uh, short-term rates and long-term rates, which is a pretty strong indicator of recession. Uh, so I'm not trying to forecast recession here, but uh, that's expectations have moved in us much more in the direction of recession over the last couple of weeks, I would say. Right. I think so. And you've got other factors. Uh, the dollar is incredibly strong. Dollar's the highest or strongest we've seen in in almost 20 years. Um, so that's another thing that's that's it's always a negative factor uh, toward ags that especially export dependent ag. Yeah, I was going to say particularly if you think about soybeans and and where we are on the calendar with South America moving into their big export time of year, time of year when they typically do pick up exports from us anyway. Right. So we're seeing some of that show up in the market news this week that China is canceling some previous orders. Uh, they had placed for U.S. soybeans to be delivered in August, and they're switching, um, canceling those and switching to Brazilian soybeans for that time period. And and the dollar strength has, you know, it, that is a factor in their decision. Yeah, that's a good point. So, you know, I guess the bottom line of that is uh, the fairly strong divergence between the information that was in the acreage report and the market reaction to it, at least with soybeans, was was pretty striking. I think in hindsight, uh, there there's a pretty good story to tell uh, that justifies that, or at least explains that reaction. I won't say it justifies it, but at least explains how the market could move in that way. I guess the the million dollar question is what does that imply for the market moving forward? Any thoughts on that? I know I'm kind of putting you on the spot there. I guess it with this type of correction in the market, and it has been fairly fairly significant. I was looking at this point today. You know, corn's twenty three percent off the high it made in mid May. Uh, soybeans are. 17% off the high that they made in mid-June. So you think with that type of correction, that uncovers some demand at some point. You'd have to think that the end users are going to step in and say, okay, we've had a you know a fairly deep correction in these markets. Let's uh, get some inventory covered or take a long position in this market. So maybe, you know, maybe, um, you know, we've seen a, you know, a deep enough cleanse in the market that we may uncover some demand. Well, that's yet yeah. to be seen. That's a that's a really good point. Uh, I want to think about that from the from the other side of the coin, from the supplier side of the coin, Scott. I mean, I think we had farmers uh, pricing pretty aggressively early, early, relatively early in the season because there were good 
good pricing opportunities available. What's your sense of where farmers stand right now with respect to uh, to to having their production covered? I think they're a lot of them are in the 40 40 percent sold to as much as 50 percent sold and and I think for this time of year that's that's a good that's a good place to be and I, I'm sure that they regret maybe not selling a little bit more but I think now we've entered a period of of yield uncertainty about um, you know what the weather impact is going to be on yield so yeah you know, if they're at 40 to 50% sold, they're probably comfortable um, at that level just because of, you know, we don't know how, how much longer the, you know, these hot track conditions are going to persist. So um, that's a that's a really good transition to the next issue I wanted to talk about, uh, and that's crop progress and condition. We get weekly updates on that. And uh, as I said uh, a few minutes ago, we're recording this on July 6th. We have been kind of knocking on the door of 100 degrees just about every day since I think last Friday and uh, looking ahead, a uh, little, little bit of relief over the weekend, but not much. Looking ahead for the rest of the week, uh, you know, we're going to be in that uh, close to 100 degrees and heat indexes in the, you know, 110, 112 range. Uh, not a, I guess there's never a good time of year for that kind of heat, but certainly with where we are in the production cycle on 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 several of our crops, and I'm thinking specifically of corn here, this heat's a real challenge, isn't it? It is. And, and um, you know, it can't, it, it's obviously it's, you know, corn's at a critical reproductive stage and, it, you know, this this type of heat's not good. good, And that, um, you know, for corn and, um, you know, and cotton's starting to bloom and, you know, you think cotton's a, you know, a heat tolerant, hot climate crop, but it can be too hot uh for it uh, um yeah. you know at 10 o'clock last night it was 91 degrees still here in jonesboro and and cotton needs you know it needs you know the temperatures need to drop below 80 you know into the into the 70s would be would be great at night mm. and uh but i mean it's 80 first thing it's more six o'clock is already 80 degrees so it's not good for um it's not good for any crop and right uh, cotton either but um, you were talking about crop conditions. Our crop conditions in Arkansas peaked June the 13th. Um, at that, uh, for the weekend in June 13th, our, our soybeans are rated 83% good to excellent. Um, and yesterday's report, they're 69% good to excellent. Hmm. Uh, corn has slipped from 78 to 65% good to excellent. So this heat, that you and dryness that you've talked about over the last three weeks that is having an impact on the crop and it's showing up in the condition ratings yeah and i to to your point that's uh that is a that is a a big factor in the decisions that farmers have to make about how aggressively to price crop you don't know for sure how much you're going to have and this is a good example of how that production uncertainty in an environment where you really would have liked to have pulled the trigger that in production uncertainty makes it hard to do that yeah yep so then you start thinking about what what can you do to manage price risk and and uh, of course the uh, you know your your forward contracting that that 
bullet <laughs> seems to be one or that arrow it may be one you have to remove is you you may have to start managing more on the on the futures or options side rather than trying to to uh, price physical bushels and commit yourself to delivery you, you know you need to manage right. through through futures and options yeah yeah, that's a good point. It's easier to get out of those positions if you're short. That's right. If, if you're short of crop. Yep, that's true. So you don't want to commit yourself to to physical uh, delivery. So with this kind of uncertainty, we've gone, um, if we miss a rain today, we've gone 27 days here in Jonesboro without rain. Um, okay. We got three quarters of an inch the entire month of June. I got in my notes that was for the whole month three quarters of an mm. inch, 20, 25% of normal. Now, and I'll, I'll, I'll use that point to kind of return to something that we talked about uh, back during the planting season. Uh, you know, we really have focused a lot this year on cost of production because input prices are, are through the roof. Uh, obviously, the way that we're mitigating the dry conditions, can't do a lot about the heat, uh, but but what we can do is pump water, and I know we got a lot of folks in the Delta pumping water, which is uh, is 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 great to be able to do in response to the lack of rain. But it comes at a cost. We were already looking at an expensive year anyway, and and then if you have to start irrigating by mid June, and you know I'm sure the corn acres were already being irrigated before. Yeah mid-june but but every crop needed irrigation by by mid-june so you took an expensive year and then you made it more expensive and at the time irrigation started um, diesel at that time was you know the futures were 440 to 460 uh, futures and then um so the grower price was pushing five dollars yeah, and you're talking and, about off-road diesel there, right? Right, right. The dad yeah, un- untaxed, yeah. And um and so that's um more than you know a a hundred percent increase in diesel cost over the past year. Um one other side note to that a grower was telling me yesterday is uh, cost per roll of pipes up almost twenty five percent over over last oh, year well, for the you're ta- flexible you're talk- the poly pipe poly pipe so it's up about a fourth um at least over last year so you got added you know anything with a you know a petroleum component to it and then you you know we've talked about supply chain issues and things like that that add cost cost of fuel to trans you know transport anything um all of that's adding cost to the pipe as well as you know just the cost of the fuel to to pump the water. So, you know, added together, not a great reaction to the to the acreage report in terms of market reaction. Uh, pretty challenging production year, uh, both in terms of the physical production issues and the cost of production issues. Uh, so uh, a tough management environment for our farmers, I think it's fair to say. Scott, looking ahead from here uh Let's talk a little bit about the calendar moving forward. When are we going to start to get a clearer picture on uh, on these yield numbers? Because I think that's the thing that uh, that th- that's the the next step. I think that we'll really be focusing pretty heavily on is how how's the crop coming out. I think USDA would you know begin to um, you know give us some better insight on that. Uh, 
I would say August, but you know, August is the key yield determining month for the corn belt beans. So maybe September right. might be a better month to get um, some assessment of the U.S. crop as a whole. Um, but um, uh, yeah. August, you know, August, we may, you know, we'll st- start to see some numbers from FSA on certified acres. We may see a few, you know, a little bit of tweaking on, on acreage. Um, maybe as soon as August, but yield wise, I, you know, September, we may have a, may have a better feel for, uh, yeah. us yields. And then in October, we'll start to get a quite a bit of mm-hmm. objective data worked into the estimates. That's right. So we'll have some harvest, you know, I actually have some, some harvesting ongoing by then. Yep. Uh, well, certainly, uh, an interesting year to, uh, to, to be observing this in a challenging year, I think, to be managing in it. Uh, Scott, as always, I appreciate your input uh, and insight. Uh, any last comments you want to share? I, you know, I, I think that, um, you know, once a, we, we see this huge exodus of, of speculative uh, money move out of commodities, maybe maybe the markets can can begin to trade fundamentals, which I don't think they are right now. But yeah. uh, at that point, you know, when when the markets can can trade fundamentals and and assess things like weather and crop size, then then you know maybe we put a floor in it and and uh, begin to see some recovery, and maybe maybe some uh, some improvement in in opportunities to price that remaining portion of the crop once we've got a, a at that point a better handle on size. That's true. Yeah. All right, Scott. Thanks a lot. Good talking to you. Great talking to you. Enjoyed this, uh, John. All right. We'll be in touch. Uh, This is John Anderson with the Relevant Risk Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for listening to the Relevant Risk Podcast, a production of the Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence in the Department of Agricultural Economics and Agribusiness within the University of Arkansas system. The Friar Price Risk Management Center of Excellence carries out teaching activities through the Dale Bumpers College of Agricultural, Food, and Life Sciences at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville, and research and extension activities through the University of Arkansas System Division of Agriculture. Visit friar-risk-center.uada.edu for more information. Thanks for listening.